Ooh, light show. Rob, look at that. He apparently thought we needed a little more excitement before the sermon. Appreciate that, you know. You know, on Friday, a pretty cool thing happened to me. At least I, I thought it was pretty cool. I thought maybe God was at work, and I'd, I'd finished my sermon and everything up, and I was, you know, trying to figure out what I was going to do that night. And uh, when your wife's out with friends and you're trying to figure out what you do, I did what every normal person does on a Friday night when you have nothing to do. I went to the gym and shot baskets, right? I mean, that's just uh, that's a standard procedure. And it was, uh, the gym was really, really empty that day. And I did a little lifting and I went to shoot. There was this guy there shooting. And I, I know him. I played in a basketball league with him. He's maybe 22, 23 years old. Uh, I, I've known him for a while now. And uh, so we just started shooting and talking. And he's like, so, uh, you know, you're a pastor, right? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm a pastor. Said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I remember another time he and I talked, and he said, yeah, when I first saw you coming around to the Y and playing ball with us, I couldn't figure out what you were doing here. You were kind of old, and uh, I wasn't sure why you're here. He's like, I actually thought, like, you sold drugs. He's like, he told me, like, geez, I got to work on my hairstyle or something. I'm putting off a bad vibe. So, uh, and he kind of asked me about my, you know, what do you do for your job, and so on and so forth. And then he started saying, you know, there's, a, there's another guy on the team. Uh, you know, he was on one of our teams we played on together. And I mean, Easton or whatever. And he's like, yeah, Easton doesn't really believe in God or anything. He, he doesn't think there is a God. I said, oh, yeah. I said, yeah, I can, I, I, you know, so and so forth. You know, I didn't say too much. And he's like, yeah, you know, he said, uh, I don't, you know, I don't really agree with him. And whether he agreed with him or not, he wasn't going to tell me he agreed with him. Anyway, I don't know whether he did. But certainly while he was talking to the pastor at that moment, he was going to say he didn't agree with him. But, you know, he's got some you know, arguments that, you know, I you know, seem kind of good about why there maybe isn't a God. And I said, oh, yeah. He's like, but, you know, I've never really talked to anybody about it that knows too much about it. And I said, oh, yeah, I, I kind of know about that thing, I kind of a thing. And he says, uh, well, uh, one thing that he said was, you know, we've never really seen God. And so Easton kind of thinks that if you've never seen God, maybe it makes sense that, you know, he really isn't there. And, he, you know, so that there really isn't. A, you know, if, if you've never seen him, you've never been able to experience him in that way, it's, there probably is no God. And I said, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I, could see, I could see that. But I said, you know, I've never really seen your brain particularly either, but I, I mean, I think you have one. You know, I said, I think, I think you got one. I, I see the results of your brain, but I, I've certainly never seen it. And I said, you know, I mean, you know, gravity's kind of the same way. I think we see the results of gravity, but if if you want to go say, well, have you seen gravity? Well, I, I don't, I don't think I've ever seen gravity. I'm, I've seen what gravity does. And so on. And he's like, oh, yeah, I never really thought about it that way. I said, yeah, there's lots of things we believe in. He goes, it's kind of like breathing, right? You know, we, we believe that, you know, we think there's air that we're breathing. But I guess he's like, I'm not really sure I've ever seen it. I said, yeah, it's kind of like breathing. He's like, yeah, I've never, never thought about that before. And, and he said something like, oh, but other thing is like the problem of evil, you know, what do you do about the problem of evil? And we went in that, and I, I won't take you through every little discussion that we had here, make it apologetics evening or whatever, but uh, he asked me about the problem of evil, and, and he said, you know, there's all these bad things that happen and, and whatnot, and I, I kind of said, 
Yeah, you know, I've, I've heard that argument a lot of times. You know, how do you have a world that isn't perfect when you have a perfect God who's all-powerful and all-knowing? If he's all-powerful and all-knowing, how come he can't just fix everything? You know, I mean, he knows everything. He can control everything. How come he doesn't fix it? He has the ability to. Why wouldn't he, you know, stop all the bad things from happening? And I said, yeah, I've, I've heard that a lot of times. Matter of fact, I might have even known the problem or the debate the question a little bit better and he did yeah he goes that is a big problem you know I see a lot of bad things happening and and I forget the examples he gave but you know usually you hear ones like the holocaust or or whatnot these really difficult things that happen I said yes I said it's kind of like it's kind of like if you had a girlfriend and you said I have this girlfriend and I and I have complete control over her I can make her do whatever I want, and I, and I make her love me. And she doesn't have any other choice. All she's ever going to do is be a great, wonderful, loving girlfriend. That's the only choice she ever has. Say, so, would you really think that your girlfriend really loved you? I mean, she couldn't do anything else, and if she wanted to, you'd stop her from doing it. Did your girlfriend really love you? I said, I mean, if God made it so... We, no one ever made a bad choice, and we could only do the right thing, and we were never allowed to hurt each other, and no evil was ever able allowed to come in. Would we really love him? We wouldn't have a choice. Would you want a girlfriend that had no choice but to love you and no choice but to be with you, and you could force her to do it? And he says, never thought about it that way. It really makes sense, right? The reason I thought that was such a neat thing that happened to me on Friday was because of the passage that we're going to talk about this morning. And uh, there's a lot of different pe- aspects of this passage we could emphasize, of course. I, I usually choose a few or one or whatever each week, and I, I don't hit all of them. But I think what we're going to see today is kind of neat on how it fit in with ha- what happened to me on Friday. So look, look at Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 8. It says, And Stephen, so Stephen was just one of the people that we think were deacons. We had just talked about earlier in chapter 6. He was the one that were chosen. He was one of the servants. But it looks like he was more than just someone who served the tables. It was obviously he did serve tables. He helped so the apostles could focus on preaching, teaching, prayer, and whatnot. But Stephen not only served the tables, he had other gifts as well. He says, and Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. It's an incredible time in church history. The beginning of the church, all these miracles being done. It seems like there's a cluster at this particular time where many were being done, showing the power of God. And Stephen is fully a part of it. Then it says in verse 9, Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and the reason it was the synagogue, synagogue of the freedmen is because at one point these people would have once been slaves. And now we're not slaves. And the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians and those of Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. So you have all these particular territories. You have Asia, and Asia you have Alexandria, which is probably Egypt. So you have these places represented from all over the world. And so you kind of wonder, is this like one synagogue that came up against them? That all these groups, and it was like this multiple ethnic area of both you know, freedmen and people from these other countries? Or was it like multiple synagogues? And the answer is probably, we don't know, is really the answer. But I would say it's probably maybe one or two different synagogues possibly that came together. These different people came 
and they rose up and disputed with Stephen. And while my conversation on Friday certainly wasn't much of a dispute, he wasn't really fighting with me particularly, you know, my friend came up and, you know, asked me some questions, some things that people had brought up to him that he did not sort of understand, he couldn't deal with, and caused him to question the existence of God. And verse 10 it says, But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. So there's two things here. Number one's the wisdom. If you, someone comes up to you and you ask questions about Christianity or whatnot, you have to know some stuff. You know? You gotta know some stuff. You have to be able to apply that wisdom, right? But you need to know something in order to apply it. So you notice when I use the illustration, what did I use? I used girlfriend. Why did I try to use girlfriend? He's not married, right? He's not married. But I had to know the arguments before I attempted to apply them in the best way that I could. So maybe using the example of a girlfriend was good or not. Maybe that was a wise decision. Maybe it wasn't, but I was doing my best. But you have to start. You have to know the arguments. And so therefore, if you're not prepared to answer when people ask you the difficult questions of Christianity, if you choose to just never learn them, when someone asks you, what are you going to say? Call Joel? Now, unfortunately, it doesn't work that way, right? I don't know when I'm going to see this guy again. We may never play on a basketball team together ever again. I may ne- never randomly see him at the wide again. You need to be ready at any moment. You can't just hand him a book and say, I ah, read, read Lee Strobel or whatever. So you need to know things, you've got to be able to apply those things, and the spirit with which he was speaking. You can be smart as all get out, you can have the right answers. Why do you think it took the guy, I've probably known him for years before he bothered to ask me these questions. At some point he had to decide, Joel's an alright guy. Joel's an alright guy. If you don't get the people thinking you're alright's part, All the knowledge isn't going to really go too far, is it? We need both of those things. We need to to be a person that has the right kind of spirit. We need to have have kind of the character that people would listen to us. But then we also need to to have those answers. We need to be prepared with those answers. Verse 11, they secretly instigated men who said. And this word instigated, it's interesting. I was reading about it a little bit, and it's almost like, have you ever read a good conspiracy theory? You know, like maybe one you disagree with. Maybe one that was really far out was obviously wrong. You know what conspiracy theories like to do? They say something like this. Well, they never did a report on that. So maybe, maybe big, long conspiracy theory, right? They pick something that they try to find where there's no information about it, really, and then they go, well, maybe, and then they create a big conspiracy theory. So if you ever hear people who talk about and they kind of have this theory, and the way they're trying to prove the theory is that there's no proof, okay, the proof of the conspiracy theory is that there's no proof, that's kind of why it says conspiracy theory, okay? So this is how they were saying. So when they were instigating these men, They don't really have proof. 
Okay? They're just starting to stir it up. You know, it's kind of like, you might say something like this. You know, Ryan came home really late one night. I don't know what he was doing. Do you know what he was doing? I don't know. Who knows what he was doing? No no proof, right? The proofs that I have no proof. Okay, and this is what they're bringing up. Against them, and they, what is they? What are they? We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. He claims that Stephen has spoken blasphemous words against Moses and God. You know, there's kind of some debate. How much truth was there to this claim? Was it like a complete kind of lie, or was there just a touch of truth? And I have tend to think it's got to be a touch of truth. All the best lies have a touch of truth, right? You really want a good lie. You got to be a little bit true. You know, my if I wanted to keep making up more stuff about Ryan, at least having a starting point if he came home late one night being true, at least would get me somewhere, right? And so I think it's true that some of the things Stephen said were things he said, but I think they're being manipulated. We'll see more later on. It says in verse twelve, and they stirred up the people and the elders and scribes, and they came upon him and seized him. And brought him before the council. So they were able to get everybody worked up so much that once again, just as have Peter and some of the apostles had gone before this council, now it's Stephen's turn and he has to answer for himself there. Verse 13, and they set up false witnesses who said, so we got the story stern and now we get some more witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. You know, of course, we've talked about a number of times the importance of the temple in Judaism. The temple is just a super important thing. You do not have full-blown what God requires in Judaism if you do not have the temple, you know, the sacrifices and all the whole system. So when it says this man spoke words against the holy place, this was a very strong thing to say about them. Now, is there some truth? That Jesus, during his time, said some things about how maybe the temple was going to go away at some point? Yes. Yes, it is. So I think this is sort of, yeah, there is some truth to this. But probably not in the way that these false witnesses were said. They took some of the things that Stephen was probably teaching about Jesus. We don't know directly. And what Jesus said related to the temple. And they made Stephen sound as bad as they possibly could. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. Now, are some of the customs of Moses going to change in the church? Yes. Yes, they are. Do we do all the customs of Moses? No, we do not. So is there some truth to this? I tend to think there's a little bit of truth. But it seems the way they're painting them is not saying, 
Well, Stephen thinks that Jesus is the Messiah and he came and fulfilled the law. And now our continuation, and we're going to continue on with what God gave us, starting with Abraham, is reached out. Now Jesus is the continuation of this long, beautiful line of a God's plan, right? That's not how they said it, right? They say, we do things like this, and he's going to ruin it all, right? He's going to ruin it all. He's destroying it. It's not some kind of continuation. There's no nuance, twisting. They're putting him down. And 15, and gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. This is a, a u- pretty unique event as far as New Testament times going. This idea of what his face may have looked like, we don't know. Was it really glowing? Is this just describing what the, the countenance that he had and the confidence he had in the Lord, we're not positively sure. But there's no question that Stephen was being used by God in this situation when answering against these attacks. And you know, you say, well, the early church, as they were getting started, they were getting attacked by a number of people and, and they were having these different groups go against them. So who was their group that was going against them? Um, well, it was the Jews, right? It was the synagogue people. They were going against them. Is that hitting us today here at Sunnyside? I don't think so. I, I don't think we have any Jewish synagogue people that might be trying to undermine our faith. Maybe somewhere else. Maybe a different place. There might be other ways. You know, if you were certainly in other countries or different parts of the world, maybe parts of Islam would be a big one. But, you know, one that often hits us that I'm going to emphasize this morning One that really can kind of silently undermine us and get us when no one knows this issue of deconstructing our faith. You know, there's a band. There, well, there used to be a band. This was one of Alex's favorite bands in high school called Michael Gunger. And then they became just Gunger. I don't know if you've ever heard of them, but some of you may know the song, Like Beautiful Things. You make beautiful things. You make beautiful things. Sometimes Alex sings the song Crags and Clay, maybe during communion. Michael Gunger wrote that song. So this is one of, one of his favorite bands. In 2012, Michael Gunger came out. Well, he announced that in 2012 is when he had made the decision. He announced it later, but he announced that in 2012 he had made the decision that he was now an atheist. Let me read you a song that he wrote after he had decided to become an atheist. It's called Yesternight. Yesterday, the gods were smiling down on me. Yesterday, the angels graced the glassy sea. The world was bathed in black and mystery. Yesterday. We have yesterday, and then the next verse, yesternight. Yesternight, the gods, they disappeared from sight. The angels flapped their wings and took their songs to flight. The shadows lift their hands and praise the light yesternight. Then he goes back to yesterday. Yesterday, your hands were home in mine. Yesterday, My heart was yours to find. Ah, yesternight, 
I found some peace of mind yesternight. And so the morning finally shed its light. So we have three phases. We have the yesterday, yesternight, and the morning. And then the morning finally shed its light. And the morning of the loss, the sacred light. Sunbeams lift their hands and praise the night. Praise the night. Yesterday, he was a Christian. The gods were smiling down on me. Yesternight, the gods, they disappeared from sight. And in the morning, he praises what had happened during the night. Michael Gunger. Beautiful things. Crags and clay. Dry bones. You know, no, one, no one knew he was becoming an atheist. No one knew. As a matter of fact, Alex didn't know he'd become an atheist until one day on Twitter he saw he swore or something. He couldn't believe it. And he found out, oh, he's an atheist. And then you, I saw an interview with Michael Gunker's wife. She was talking about the process that took slowly over time. She called it the deconstruction of our faith. The deconstruction of our faith. They went they discussed so on and so forth. Michael Gunger decided to be an atheist. She decided actually to not become an atheist per se. She would be a theist. She'd believe that there's a God, but what exactly she believes about that's very hazy, you know. Is Jesus the Son of God? Uh, well, you know, maybe not really, or whatever, right? You know, it's kind of hard to pin her down. So whether she's an atheist or not, she certainly wouldn't be what we would consider an evangelical Christian. But then I saw that interview with her. And what's interesting is they're interviewing another woman at the same time. And this other woman, her name is Alicia, Alyssa Childers. Childers, probably. Alyssa is her name. And she was in a band called Zoe Girl. A few of us remember Zoe Girl. Come on now, Zoe Girl. Not quite as popular as Younger, but, you know, whatever. They, they had a band, in the, I think, in the 90s or the early 2000s. They were a Christian band, just the same. And she also, in this particular interview, talked about how her faith started to deconstruct. And what she will tell you, and she'll talk about it here in a video, we're going to say, her faith was deconstructed by none other than the pastor of her church that she went to. I'd just like to take a few minutes to watch this video of her and she describes her particular testimony. I was born into a Christian home to parents who modeled for me a genuine Christianity, genuine faith. It wasn't perfect, but it was real. And I've loved Jesus for as long as I can remember. As early as I began to read and write, I began to read and study the Bible. And I recognized something in it that was real and true. As a young girl, my mom would take us down to Skid Row in Los Angeles, and we would work the soup lines at the Fred Jordan Mission on weekends. And I got to see the power of God working in people's lives. I saw the lives of drug addicts and prostitutes become radically transformed by the gospel. 
And the Christians that I knew were people who sacrificed their own comfort to love and serve those whom society had abandoned. And I realize now that it was some of those experiences that helped to anchor my faith as a young girl. So my faith wasn't blind. I can't say that it was blind, but it was intellectually weak and untested. Music has always been in my blood. My dad was one of the founders of the contemporary Christian music genre. And when I was in my early 20s, I moved to Nashville, Tennessee and signed a record deal and helped form the group Zoe Girl. And for seven years, we wrote music and recorded albums and toured all around the country with great bands. I got to play venues like Madison Square Garden and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It was an amazing experience. And it was during that time that I married our drummer. And then shortly after the group disbanded, I found myself at home with a new baby, and I began to play and sing at different churches here and there. And I met a pastor who described himself as a hopeful agnostic. And he challenged my faith in a way that had never been challenged before. And the challenge was intellectual. And virtually everything that I had ever believed about God and Jesus, and especially the Bible, was picked apart and deconstructed with what at the time I thought were flawless intellectual arguments. And he did it better than any atheist I'd ever met. See, growing up, I met a lot of atheists. I expected atheists to not believe. But when it was a pastor that I respected and had come to trust that was making some of these same claims, it shook me to my core because I realized in those moments that I didn't know how to defend what I believed. And it threw me into what I can only describe as a storming ocean of doubt. I was dog paddling for dear life with no life jacket, with no hope of rescue, and the world got dark. I would lay in my bed at night with tears in my eyes, singing hymns into the darkness, begging the God that I hoped was there to help me, to send me a lifeboat, and then the God who was always there sent that lifeboat in the form of a ministry of a man named Robbie Zacharias. And it was through that door that a whole world was opened to me. A world of scholarship, apologetics, theology, science, history. And I began to study. And for years I have studied. And I have become not just experientially and emotionally convinced, but also now intellectually convinced that the historic claims of Christianity are true and that the Bible is left standing tall amidst a rubble of accusation. And I've become intellectually persuaded that the Christian worldview is the only worldview that can account for the way the world even is. So whoever you are, seeker, doubting Christian, convinced Christian who realizes that our beliefs are under intellectual attack like never before. It's my prayer that this website will be a lifeboat for you. So I want to invite you to get in the boat. We'll tackle the tough questions together. And by God's grace, we will reach the shore. So you can see kind of two paths, right? Lisa, one direction and this young woman, another. You know, she talks about her website. She started a website about Christian apologetics and goes and teaches to 
teenagers and other places and whatnot and took a totally different path. You know, there's kind of this underlying battle we're having. Sometimes it's hard to see. It's, it's not necessarily some other religion, you know, putting us in jail. It's the undermining and intellectually of our faith. And we need to continue to be vigilant and be ready to defend our faith. When we're just out and about, someone asks us about it, we need to be ready to give an answer. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this morning. Lord, we just pray that uh, you would use us not only to be strong in our own faith, but use us to strengthen others as well. Lord, sometimes the arguments can be convincing sometimes by people that we really care about and really trust and really think a lot of. But Lord, I just pray that you would help us to hold on to you, that you would give us the faith when we don't have it. Lead us to the people that help us with the answers we might be seeking. Though we love you, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.